prophet, not minor in its message, but minor in its size. Jonah chapter number one is where we'll begin our reading together. Jonah chapter one. We're beginning a brand new sermon series next week on the armor of God. And so I hope that you'll be in your place as we study through what the Bible has to say about putting on his armor as uh, we defend against the wiles of the devil in this world. Uh, that's next Sunday. We're going to be looking uh, at that brand new series. Jonah chapter 1 in verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. For their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so, be that God will think upon us, and we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and we're grateful for the opportunity that we have uh, to study your word together. And I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to help us, to instruct us, to chasten us, to direct us. May you be glorified, and I pray that your word this morning would be glorified in us. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and give me the words to say. I pray that your word would fall upon good ground, uh, that you would bind Satan and his demons. And I pray, Lord, your blessing upon our preaching time this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we talk about this idea of backsliding or the concept of backsliding, we're not just talking about big sins that we commit and stray from the Lord. But we're also talking about subtle times in our life where we simply are not growing as a Christian the way that we should. Really, it's an attitude of running from God and not running to God. And uh, I, I took some time and I read through several books and, and studied uh, various books, and uh, I came up with a list uh, of some signs that a Christian is backslidden. According to these books, these are some signs, outward signs, not a complete list by any means, uh, but these are some signs that a Christian is living in a backslidden state. The first one is formality in worship, going through the motions as a Christian, so to speak, but have no heart in worshiping the Lord. There's also the absence of joy in general and of the things of God in particular. 
Someone said this, uncontrollable anger, for when the Spirit fills us, He enables us to control our anger and to control our tongue. An unloving spirit that instead of looking for the best in others, we continually put the worst construction on their conduct. Finding fault, a fault-finding spirit, judging even the motives of others, placing blame on others, judging people harshly, a waning interest in the Word of God, This may be one of the most telling and serious symptoms because without the continual spiritual nourishment provided by the Word of God, we place ourselves in danger of backsliding even further. There's a lack of interest in secret prayer. There's a lack of interest in seeking souls to be saved and revived. There's no significant interest in missions or outreach to unreached people groups of the world. There's a lack of of holiness or progressive sanctification in your spiritual growth. There's a conscience that a conscience, excuse me, that is not tender, not easily offended by our sin. And then there's the fear of man prevailing over a fear for God. Someone said this: a stranded ship, an eagle with a broken wing, a garden covered with weeds, a harp without strings. A church in ruins, all of these are sad sights, but a backslider is a sadder sight still. Someone wrote this, for most of us, the threat of sin is not so much that we should plunge into disaster, but that we should slowly drift into sin. There are few people who deliberately in a moment turn their backs on God. There are many who day by day drift further and further away from him. There are not many who in one moment of time commit some disastrous sin. There are many who almost invisibly involve themselves in some situation and suddenly awake to find that they have ruined a life for themselves and broken the hearts of others. We must continually be on the alert against the peril of a drifting life. The word will never drift from us. The danger is our drifting from the anchor provided by the truth of God's word. The harbor of salvation is absolutely secure. It is Jesus Christ who never moves, never changes, and is always available to anyone who wants the protection and security of his righteousness. And yet, sadly, we as Christians drift and we wander from the Lord. You see, in this passage of Scripture, we find a backslidden prophet. Now, God had commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, if you know anything about the background of Nineveh, Nineveh was a terribly wicked city. I I mean, we could take the whole message and talk about uh, how wicked Nineveh was. Nineveh was an ancient Assyrian city, the capital of Assyria. And it was situated on the east bank of the Tigris River. And God wanted Jonah to go there and to preach. And yet, as we read our passage of Scripture here, we understand that Jonah deliberately disobeyed God. Now, we understand that that, uh, Assyria was to conquer the northern kingdom of, of Israel. And the Bible talks about that in 2 Kings chapter 17 in verse number six. And so Jonah was sent by God, really, if we think about this, 
Jonah was sent by God to go to a people that he absolutely despised. And yet we know from a biblical perspective that God's intent was to use the people of Israel to bless all nations. But Jonah didn't agree with this. Jonah had his own ideas. And in fact, Jonah decided instead of going to Nineveh, he would go in the absolute opposite direction. He would follow his own pathway. Now, of course, this wasn't a sin of ignorance. Jonah knew exactly what he was doing. God commanded, and Jonah said no to God. And so in the book of Jonah, we have this runaway prophet. He's decided that he's not going to follow God. He's decided he's not going to listen to God. He's going to do his own thing, go his own way. And so the book of Jonah is a commentary of God's chastening for this runaway prophet. And I I believe we can learn some principles for our life uh, from the life of Jonah as we study this scripture together. So if you're taking notes with me this morning, I want you to write down some simple truths. First of all, would you write down this, his direction, his direction. Now, when we talk about moving away from the presence of the Lord, uh, as, as a Christian, we're talking about moving away from God's blessing and God's favor in our life. We know as a Christian, we cannot escape God. As a born-again believer, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but we can escape God's blessing by disobeying his word. And the Bible says in verse 3 of our text here in Jonah chapter 1, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarsus, notice this expression, from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarsus, and he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. We notice that expression several times, from the presence of the Lord. The problem is when Jonah arrived at Joppa to go to, to, go to Tarsus, God was already at Joppa. God had beat him to it. And so here he's trying to get away from God, and God illustrates for us here of a Christian who is escaping or running from God, disobeying God, and we see God's chastening in his life. So what does a a Christian that's blessed by God look like? Well, I'm glad you asked this morning. Turn to Psalm chapter 1 in our Bibles together. Psalm chapter 1. And notice what the scripture says here of a blessed Christian, Psalm chapter 1, and we'll begin our reading in verse number 1 together. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But the ungodly are not so. They are like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous but the way of the ungodly shall perish the bible teaches us here the blessing of obedience in psalm chapter number 1 
And here is a man that's walking in the truth of the word of God. He's not listening to what the world has to say. He's not listening to the, the opinions of ungodly men or the mockers of the Bible. But he delights in the truth. And he walks in the truth. And the Bible says that that man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And he will prosper and be blessed because God always blesses his word. And so we find in this scripture here, in this passage, the blessing of obedience. But this is not the commentary of Jonah's life. No, we find in his life, we find here that Jonah disobeyed God. And the Bible says that Jonah decided that, that God was making a big, big mistake in preaching to Nineveh and that he would take matters in his own hands and he would board a ship and he would go the opposite direction in which God had commanded him to go. We call this the direction of disobedience. We find the direction of obedience, it's blessed by God. But the direction of disobedience, the Bible defines it here in the life of of Jonah, first of all, understand this, that this direction is always down. It is always down. The Bible says that Jonah went down to Joppa and he went down into the ship. For a child of God to leave the blessing of obedience, it's always a downgrade. It, it, it's always a mistake. It's always down in our life. And the Bible says here in this scripture that Jonah went down. I think there's a great example in the Bible of the prodigal son and how he left the blessing of his father. And the Bible says he went down into the pig pen, uh, really a, a place that's despised by the Jews. But he left the blessing of his father and instead decided he was going to live life up. He was going to do things his own way. Disobedience always leads us down. And when we disobey God, no matter how big or how small, the reality is this, we are forfeiting the blessing and favor of God in our life. And the Bible says that Jonah decided, listen, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm going down to Joppa. We see the direction is always down. Letter B here, the cost is always great. The cost is always great. The Bible says here, illustrate it wonderfully for us, that Jonah paid the fare. He paid the fare. Someone said this, Jonah made his way to the shipping office to book passage to Tarshish and paid the fare with coins stamped with the image of the subscription of Jeroboam II. However, as Alexander White noted, no booking clerk could have told Jonah that it was actually going to cost him to get on board. Running away from God is always a costly business. And the Bible teaches us in this passage of Scripture that Jonah paid the fare, and the fare he paid was greater than he could ever imagine, greater than what he could ever have thought. The cost of running from God is always great. You know, we just don't know what we're going to miss when we disobey God. We just don't know the blessings that we will forfeit when we decide to run away from God, we don't know the price tag of what it will really cost us when we tell God no in our life. You think about Esau for a moment. Esau disregarded God's law. He married women outside of Israel, and he didn't have respect 
of his birthright. And the Bible says that Esau forfeited being a part of the line of the Messiah. The cost of disobedience was great in Esau's life. The devil has always been trying to convince people to go their own way. The devil has always been trying to convince people to do their own thing. But friend, listen to me. All of Satan's apples have worms. And all of Satan's checks bounce. And all of Satan's promises are lies. The price tag to disobey God is high. And we see that Jonah, he went his own way. He paid the fare. But I want us to think about thirdly, it always catches up with you. It always catches up with you. You may think that you've gotten away with your disobedience as a Christian, but I want you to know it always catches up. It always catches up. You see, our sin has consequences. And the Bible teaches us that we always reap what we sow, and we always reap more than we sow, and we always reap after we've sown. God will discipline his children. And Jonah learned that you can run from God, but he'll always catch up with you in the end. We see in this passage of Scripture uh, an example of Jonah's life, and we notice, first of all, as far as Jonah's concerned, his direction, his direction is always down when we run from God. The cost is always great, and it always catches up to us. Secondly, would you write this down, his demeanor? Write this down, his demeanor. The Bible says this in verse number 5, when the mariners were afraid, uh, then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God. This is verse 5, Jonah 1. And cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea. So all of the luggage, all the cargo on the ship, they threw it overboard to lighten the ship because of the storm. And the Bible says, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. And so the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so, be that God will think upon us, and we perish not. Now, you can imagine what's happening here. Everyone on the ship are praying to their false gods. And they're all crying out to their false gods. And here Jonah, who was the only one on board who served the true God. Jonah's the only one on board who, cho who serves the real God. He's down in the hinder part of the ship, and he's fast asleep. We think about the demeanor of a backslidden Christian is their indifference to spiritual things. Jonah was indifferent to everything that was happening around him. You've probably heard this quote before, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And I find it interesting that as we get closer and closer to end times and People stand up and they say, well, I believe we're coming close to the end. And yet, why is it that more and more Christians are sleeping? Why is it that more and more Christians are indifferent to spiritual things? Why isn't church services full? 
Why aren't people calling out to God if we truly think that we are living in the last of the last days? Have we just become indifferent to all that's happening? May God help us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather, improve, rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the life, for whatsoever doth made manifest is life. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. The Bible teaches us that we are to be one that does not waste our time. We are to be one that does not have their, their head in the sand but to be aware of what is happening around us and not to be indifferent of our own spiritual growth. The Bible says in Romans 13, verse 7, Render therefore all to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covenant. And that there be any other commandment, it is briefly uh, comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Work, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time and now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the work of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We find in the life of Jonah this attitude of running from God. We find in the life of Jonah this attitude of indifference to his own spiritual condition. And we've seen, I've seen over the years, the attitude of those who run away from God. Some actually convince themselves that they are the ones in the right, that they're in the good, and some even spiritualize their own sin or ungodly attitude, and others ignore the work of God and the conviction in their life, the, the preaching of the word of God, and they sleep spiritually to the very need of their heart. The reality is ignoring spiritual problems doesn't make it go away. It only makes it easier to ignore it the next time. And yet we find in the life of Jonah that he ignored what God was doing. We see in the life of Jonah that he decided that his will was more important than God. And we see in the life of Jonah that he was indifferent to everything around him. And so we see thirdly, 
this morning his denouncement. Notice if we could in verse number 7 of Jonah chapter 1. The Bible says, And they said every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. I want you to know something. This was not bad luck. (laughs) This was not chance. This was God. This was God. In fact, this was God pointing his finger at Jonah and saying, thou art the man. I want you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Samuel. Would you turn there? 2 Samuel in the 12th chapter. 2 Samuel chapter 12. They say that David lived for about a year under conviction from the sin of Bathsheba. And David kind of just lived his life, was a miserable man. Until 2 Samuel chapter 12, when God sent his prophet. And you can imagine, we think about going, you know, we think of Jonah going to Nineveh and the fear that would be involved. You can imagine being a prophet approaching the king and rebuking him for his sin. That would be a difficult thing to do. And so the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 1, look at it together. The Bible says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto, God, uh, unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nursed up and grew up together with him and with his children, and he did eat it as his own meat. He did eat uh, of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. I, I mean, this, this was a pet. <laughs> that, that's what it was. This, was. this was not a lamb. This was a pet. This was like a poodle. <laughs> and he loved this lamb. And the Bible says in verse 4, And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his own flock, and of his own herd. You can imagine the illustration here. There's a traveler coming and a rich man. The traveler comes to the rich man. The rich man has thousands and thousands of lambs. But he doesn't take one of his own lambs. Instead, the Bible says that he goes and he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. Here comes a traveler and the rich man goes and he takes that you lamb that that poor man loved so much. It was like it was a pet. And he killed it and he fed it to the traveler. And the Bible says, and rightly so, David's anger was greatly kindled against that man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing will surely die. And he hath restored, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he has did this thing and because he had no pity. And David, Nathan said to David, look at this. You can imagine this old prophet pointing his bony finger at David and saying, David, thou art the man. 
that saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king of Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Now what was this illustration? It's kind of a weird kind of picture story. Well, Nathan is illustrating here David's own flesh. You see, the traveler was David's sinful desire. The traveler was was David's flesh. And the flesh, the traveler, took the ewe lamb and destroyed a home and destroyed a family all because of what he wanted, all because of what he desired, all because of the desire of his own flesh. And David used his position and his power to feed his flesh. Nathan pointed his finger at David and said, David, you're the man. You're guilty. You've done this. And oftentimes in our Christian life, it is the very Holy Spirit of God who indwells us that as we hear the Word of God, as we read the Word of God, and we really listen to what God is saying, the Holy Spirit convicts us It says, this is you. I'm showing you. I'm revealing your heart. I'm pointing my finger at your life. You need to add this. You need to take this away. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He points his finger at us. And he says, you're the one. It's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord standing in the need of prayer. You know, it's easy for us, and this is really a hindrance to revival in our own life, to point at other people and say, well, I hope so-and-so's listening. (laughs) They really need this. The reality is we really need this. So why does God point his finger at us? Well, God deals with us to correct us. You see, this is not God in hostility. This is God in love. And the Bible says in Jonah's life, there's a storm and there's a whale. And God created this whale specifically for Jonah. And and this whale swallows Jonah whole. I mean, that'll give you some time to think. And all of this, all of this was God's dealing. And Jonah realized, wait a minute, this, this is God's work. You say, Who threw Jonah into the sea? God threw Jonah into the sea. And Jonah realized this was God's work in my life. He writes in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3, For thou hast cast me into the deep. Look at that. Jonah realized it wasn't the mariners that threw him overboard. It was God that threw him overboard. God had pointed his finger at his life. God had shown him his sin And it was God who indirectly had cast him into the sea. It was God who prepared a great fish to swallow him whole. And God is dealing with us today. Now, I can't guarantee you'll be swallowed by a whale when you go home. But if you're a Christian, I can guarantee that God is working in your life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, If ye therefore endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. 
For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? As a father deals with his son, so God deals with his children. And God chastens us. God chastens us so that we would look to him again. And Jonah realized this in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. He says, and Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou, thou heardest my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep and in the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. God brings chastening into our life so that we will look to him again. And if you're not looking to God today, if you're indifferent to your spiritual things in your life, I want you to know that God works in our life to revive us so that we will look to him again, that we will be renewed in our love and direction for him. And and we notice here the direction of a backslider, but we also see what God does about it. Look what the Bible says and how we can fix it. The Bible says in chapter 2, verse 3, to accept the dealings of God. To understand that where you are is because God's at work in your life. And then to look to God and repent, chapter 2, verse 4. And then chapter 3, to walk in obedience. And this is what happened in in the life of Jonah. God, help us today to not be a sleeper. God, help us today that if we are a sleeper, that we would wake up and that we would look to God again. You know, the book of Jonah is an interesting book in our Bible. You know, that old prophet never really does get his heart right with God. I mean, you can read the entire book. It's only four chapters long. You know, Jonah was more concerned about getting even with Nineveh for all of their evil deeds toward Samaria, that that old prophet lived a miserable life. He really did. In fact, at the end of the book, God gave him an example of a gourd. And the gourd that God created to give Jonah a shadow was never something to be permanent, but the Bible says that Jonah had more care and concern for that which was temporary than the people that would live forever. And God says, Jonah, you got things backward. You're living for the temporal, and you're not living for the eternal. And that's just a bad attitude for a Christian. And that's not a godly attitude. You see, bitterness is a terrible thing. I think Jonah was bitter. I think he was bitter at Nineveh. I think he became bitter at God. And the book of Jonah just ends. It just ends. Chapter 4, verse 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? And that's the end. We don't know if Jonah got right with God. But your story can have a better ending this morning. And you can listen to God's word. And you can respond to the truth that has been presented. 
and you can call upon the Lord and look to Him again. And from the authority of the Word of God, He'll hear it and He'll help you. God, help us today. Let's not be a backslidden, backward Christian. Let's make sure we're following the Lord and saying yes to Him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and we're grateful for the opportunity that we have